um, John 20, 24 to 31. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thanks, Robin. It was one of those things, you know, you had to be there. Have you ever, has that ever been said to you? You had to be there. And because you weren't there, you feel like you've missed out on something to which there is now no access. You know, friends fall about laughing at an obscure me- Uh, reference that you're not party to. You wouldn't get it. You had to be there. Um, There's a photograph here. My dad in the UK, it was his 80th birthday last year, and I saw lots of photographs and heard all the stories. But it wasn't the same. You had to be there. As we look back on the Bible's historical record of the first Easter, there's an enormous sense uh, in which we might think, Oh, it's one of those things that you really just really had to be there. But actually, this whole part of John 20 that Robin read for us says the opposite. It confronts each of us this morning, whether we're firm believers, struggling with doubts, or firmly close to the idea of the resurrection from the dead of Jesus. It confronts us and it says, you didn't need to be there for this to make sense. One of the things I love about the Bible is that it it isn't a heavily edited puff piece on God and life, excuse me. It's not this heavily edited puff piece on God and life. Loads of the Psalms, for example, bring exactly the kind of objections people have against God, such as, why is there suffering in the world? And, and the Psalms not only talk about those things, but they bring them front and center right into the middle of the temple worship service. So the Bible keeps in all the difficult, awkward stuff. And I'm so thankful that God has given us in his word the voice of an unbeliever who is struggling to come to terms with what is being told them. You see, Thomas hadn't been there when the risen Lord Jesus first appeared to his disciples. And he stood apart from the others and famously declared, well, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were 
and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And that's the case for millions of people today, isn't it? Maybe some people here even. The question is this Easter, how are people to know and believe the risen Lord Jesus? So let's stick with our sort of skeptical man on the inside, Thomas, and see if he can help us answer that. So first, we're going to look at his refusal to believe. His refusal to believe. So from verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, so that's the Greek version of Thomas, and both names mean twin. So Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciple told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas is having none of it. Now, some say uh, Jesus was resurrected in the disciples' hearts. You know, they really just felt like he was with them again, and in that sense, he's resurrected. Well, not Thomas. Thomas is absolutely not open to the idea Jesus is alive at this point. In fact, he's got zero expectation of ever having his criteria for belief satisfied. I mean, this same Thomas had watched Jesus die. He'd seen and heard all the horrific detail of Jesus' crucifixion. He'd seen his grotesque death. That's R18 rated, so I won't go into it here. He'd seen the life crushed out of him. He had watched as one of the professional killers unceremoniously rammed a spear into the middle of Jesus' corpse to make sure he was really dead. Still pinned to the cross in public view. Thomas knew that Jesus had been mangled and killed. He knew that Jesus had been completely dead. And in the mind of Thomas, there is no way Jesus could come back from that. And this makes Thomas the ideal witness to the resurrection. He's not willing it to happen. He's not expecting it to happen. He's already decided that it can't happen. Whatever his friends, the other disciples, are saying. And how sure he is that Jesus is dead and buried is shown in the demands he makes, this macabre demand to probe the wounds of execution on the body with his own fingers. So it's like when you say, you know, when I'm, when I'm a billionaire, I'm going to have a Ferrari or I'm going to give it all away or whatever. It's all theoretical. You're saying stuff that you never expect to happen. And nothing less will convince Thomas. And he only speaks like that because he's certain it will never happen. Uh, Thomas often gets called doubting Thomas, doesn't he? But here he's not like, I'm not quite sure about this, is, nah, no way. He's absolutely firm in denial. He refuses to believe. And then notice his rejection of believers. So his own rejection and then his rejection of believers, because the the two things must go together. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see, I will never believe. So there's no getting around the fact that this puts him at odds with the other disciples. So these are his closest mates. He spent 
all day, every day together with him for about three years. You know, he knows who snores. He knows who always moans about the food. He knows probably the names of their families. And it's these people that he's close to. It's their word that he refuses to believe. He flatly rejects the testimony of those who have told him that Jesus is alive. And surely that would have been a problem between them. How could Thomas continue with this group? Why would he want to if he rejected something so essential as this? And yet it's amazing how many... Excuse me. And yet it's amazing how many churches and denominations and even people calling themselves Christian make the resurrection of Jesus kind of an optional extra, just a matter of personal preference, as though it were possible to be a Christian and a member of the church of Jesus while rejecting his bodily resurrection. You can't. Can you imagine Thomas telling those other disciples, his friends, that he was happy for them to believe in that Jesus was alive? It, it just wasn't for him. And would the other disciples have seen his refusal to believe as... Oh, it's just an insignificant point of difference. Of course not. You can only be easy going about that when it doesn't matter to you what others believe or disbelieve. The Christian life, and therefore Christian fellowship, is built on the facts of the gospel. Paul wrote later in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters... I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you, have, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. If, as Thomas believed, Jesus is not bodily risen, then the Christian gospel is empty, powerless. It's ridiculous, really. As Paul goes on in verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. pitied. So there you go. According to the Apostle Paul, if Jesus isn't raised from death, we shouldn't be giving Christian friends and family Easter eggs and happy Easter cards with bunnies on. We should be giving them a with sympathy card. And inside Hallmark's written, you of all people are to be most pitied. Try sending that one next Easter and see you. How many Easter eggs you get back? If Jesus wasn't raised from death, here's the problem. We have hope in this life only. If Jesus wasn't raised from death, we have hope in this life only. So where is your hope? What do you hope in? What do you hope for? If, as the Bible says, and as Christians believe, Jesus died and came back to life, then our hope 
extends beyond death. And this whole concept of hope is worth thinking about. So as I say, excuse me, uh, we're getting together for three nights in May to think and talk about this very thing with Hope Explored. We'd be thrilled if you or someone you know are interested in joining us, even if just for the first session. It doesn't matter where you're up to in your belief, what you do or don't believe, it'd be a great opportunity to ask questions, to discuss, to explore a hope worth having. And here's how you heard on the video how we're defining that hope worth having. A joyful expectation of the future based on true events in the past that changes everything about the present. A joyful expectation of the future based on true events of the past that changes everything about the present. So you might be asking, how true are the events of Easter? How can we know if they're true? Well, let's stick with Thomas a bit longer and look at his rationale for belief. His rationale for belief. Remember, Thomas has said, unless I see Jesus for myself and the wounds for myself, I will never believe. He wouldn't take the word of anyone else. He needed to see and touch the risen body of that same Jesus he'd seen crucified and buried. And these are the thoughts of millions down through the centuries who want to stand where Thomas stood, see what he saw, and touch what he touched. So, verse 26, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I always think there's a verse missing there where the disciples go, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now, a great deal depends on the rationale of Thomas's belief being satisfied. And as John recalls it, Jesus offers a no-holds-barred, see what I did there? A no-holds-barred investigation into Thomas, to Thomas. And it's visceral, isn't it? It's intimate. Now that Thomas is getting the proof he demanded, I bet he's actually a bit grossed out. It's really close-up and personal proof. And as Thomas has his high bar demand for evidence provided, the risen Lord Jesus calls him from unbelief to belief. Now that's fine for Thomas. You know, he got to see Jesus and put his fingers in him. But how does this help us? Thomas's repentance and belief. It's repentance and belief. Thomas answered Jesus, my Lord and my God. Isn't that fascinating? He doesn't grudgingly say, well, okay, I'm sorry, you are alive after all. I mean, I didn't think you'd actually, you know, in my defense, this kind of thing doesn't normally happen. No. Thomas's response was one of humble, happy submission. My Lord and my God. He wasn't gutted to have to bow to Jesus. He wants 
his Lord and God to have conquered death. He needs him to have conquered death and to call his followers from unbelief to belief. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You don't just believe in him. You don't just have intellectual assent to a set of ideas about him. You are stunned by him, thrilled by him. And you gladly put everything else aside to live for him as your Lord and God, because doing so makes perfect sense. Now, how does this help us to believe today? What about those who still refuse to believe and reject the word of believers? I said that Thomas's rationale for belief is the rationale of millions down through the centuries. We want to stand where Thomas stood, see what Thomas saw, touch what Thomas touched. And if you are like that, what can the Lord Jesus offer you today, right now? Well, Jesus has got nothing to hide from any critical examination, but he's not put himself on open display. I can't stand him here in front of you so that you can come and have a prod and a poke and become convinced he's still alive haven't been dead and buried. But actually, would that really help you believe? Even if Jesus had stuck around bodily to leave himself open to inspection, no humans lived that long to confirm that this was the same Jesus of Nazareth. All we'd be doing is just giving the same set of doubts a different flavor, just something else to not believe. Beyond the lifetime of those first eyewitnesses, the opportunity to examine the man who claims to be back from the dead is, is never going to persuade anyone. So what will? Well, amazingly, Jesus takes what millions would say is the best reason for belief in him, physical examination of the evidence, and Jesus downgrades it. Verse 29, Jesus told Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, it's worth noticing, noting that Thomas did believe. All he heard and saw and touched moved him from no way to my Lord and my God. But Jesus doesn't go and shake Thomas's hand, congratulate him, and saying, well done for believing. Jesus is more like, it's nice to have you on board, Thomas. But it is pretty easy for you to believe now, isn't it? Jesus implies it was easy for Thomas to believe, but looks forward to those who won't get Thomas's opportunity and wouldn't be helped by it even if they did. Jesus looked down the centuries to our day and beyond, to those who believe in him and bow to him as their Lord and God, having neither physically seen his body nor physically heard his voice. How are we or they to believe? John says, verse 30, so John the writer of this gospel biography, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So Thomas, if you like, got the live experience. We get the book. 
And amazingly, Jesus has absolute confidence that when the truth about him is read from his word, the Bible, people, millions of them, will meet Jesus, convinced that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and will have, have hope beyond this life, eternal life in his name. So the Bible is dynamite. There are countless hard-not-believe unbelievers like Thomas, as we found in, in verse 25, who down through history have moved from adamant refusal to believe to repentance and believe, believe from reading the Bible. And the reason for that is the Bible is not just history. It's God's revelation of himself. It's the living word of the living God. And it comes with a blessing. Verse 29, blessed are those who have not yet who've not seen and yet have believed. So to finish, for believers here today, be encouraged. Your blessing through faith is not any less than that of any of the original disciples. If anything, it's more. And according to Jesus, we don't have less access to him. We have more We're better off with him not sticking around bodily. And we're going to think about that more next Sunday when we look at Jesus' ascension to heaven. But if you are an unbeliever, uh, well, thank you for being here and thank you for even giving Jesus a hearing at all, even if it is from a Thomas-level position of no way. Jesus invites you to put your finger here in the Gospels, and to put out your hand, pick out and read the Bible, so that you may not disbelieve, but believe. If you haven't got one, we've got some John's Gospels on the table on your way out. Those are for you to take away. There's some other books about Easter there to flesh out this story, if you want to take those. And we'd be so thrilled if you'd join us for Hope Explored, because as John said, Verse 31, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that we can know Jesus today that we can read your living and active word and you'll speak to us through it so that we've met Jesus as good or even better as if we bump into him bodily in a locked room. Thank you that he's raised from the dead for real and that means we have hope beyond death. Amen. We're going to respond in song now. A song called The Lord is My 